0: For anyone out there who is not aware of First Founders, what it is, why we exist, let me tell you a little bit. Uh, here at First Founders, we're on a mission to lower barriers to entry and increase the likelihood of success in the innovation ecosystem by creating access to educational programming, relevant networks and funding opportunities. We started as just sort of an accelerator program, piloting in Newcastle County, Delaware. We had eight entrepreneurs who were amazing and we learned that we were sort of onto something and we had to do more work to support underrepresented founders and more work to to build a more inclusive ecosystem. So we've since scaled up to become a global community of more than 150 entrepreneurs around the world, which is just amazing to, to say out loud. I'm so proud of that fact and the fact that there are just so many amazing innovators working every day to make the world a better place for all of us. So thank you all for doing the work. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that tonight is the finals, right? So that means there were, was a pr- preliminary round. And we said, you know, we wanna do a pitch competition that's a little bit different, a little more interesting. So we said, okay, let's use our, our podcast, which is called Innovation Included. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we said, how can we use this uh, as a platform to really share the stories of amazing founders that are in our community. So we launched what we called the podcast pitch competition where we had 27 startups in our community who were challenged with crafting a really, really strong story and a really, really strong pitch. And each of them had an episode on our podcast and they had two weeks to get as many listens as they could on their episode. So really happy to share that over those two weeks, um, there was a combined total of over 21,000 listens on those episodes, which is just amazing. And again, we're so proud and so just just blown away, because we didn't even think we'd have that many listens on our podcast in a year. So thank you all. But that is why we're here tonight. So we have uh, five startups that had the most listened episodes that automatically advance to the finals, and then we have another five that were selected by an internal uh, group of judges. So you all are going to hear from those 10 startups tonight. 10 startups, four minutes each to pitch, and they will each have three minutes for Q&A with our judges. I want to introduce our phenomenal judges who are joining us today from all over the country. First up is Liz Brown, CEO and co-founder of Fawns Leap. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for all that you do to support founders, um, especially underrepresented founders. Next up, we have Ariel Grosswitz, the director of innovation at Delaware Prosperity Partnership. Uh, And a huge thank you to to Ariel, because uh, without DPP, we would not have $10,000 in non-diluted funding to give away to our uh, presenters tonight. Thank you, Ariel, and thank you for all the work that you all are doing at DPP to build a more inclusive ecosystem as well. Last up, certainly not least, Saba Karim, who is the Global Startup Pipeline Manager at Techstars. Thank you for joining us, Saba. Follow him on Twitter. He's dropping amazing uh, advice for startups every single day. Saba, thank you. Thank you for the doors that you've opened, and we're really excited for you to be here to support these founders tonight. We are gonna jump into things, and it is time to hear from our first startup. Good evening ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joel Amin Jr. and I am the CEO and
1: co-founder of WilmingBest. It is no surprise to those from Delaware to see the abundance of vacant and abandoned properties around Wilmington. Around five years ago is when we really started to get the spotlight regarding this issue. Businesses began to look elsewhere, violence was abundant, and the city was literally crumbling apart. As a group of young people that have grown up here, we began to ask ourselves not only why, but what can we do about it? According to the Corporation for Supportive Housing, a national organization that aggregates data in this space, there's a need for over 2,500 additional units of supportive housing. At an average of three beds a home, that's over 7,500 men, women, and children that need this housing. Additionally, if you take a look at these properties here on Rodney Street, you will see a site that is far too common in Wilmington, boarded up, homes that are unproductive assets crumbling away. And in fact, this, iso- this incident is not isolated at all. So we asked ourselves, how could there be so many vacant properties, yet so many men, women, and children who need homes to stay in? Clearly, there was a market inefficiency, and for us, that spot opportunity. Our solution is a strategic coalition of public-private partnerships in each phase of our business model, acquiring, renovating, and renting in a way that drives down costs and locks in revenues where others cannot. We describe this process as WILM investing, bridging the gap between local governments, nonprofits, and the private sector in order to sustainably invest in the same properties that others may not even look at. Allow me to briefly to explain. With regards to our acquisition, We work with community development financial institutions and public municipalities such as the land bank to raise low cost capital to purchase properties at reduced rates clear of tax liabilities. We then rely on our internal construction capabilities to renovate these properties at a low cost per square foot basis and work with our local nonprofit suppliers to receive materials and furnitures at reduced rates. Finally, to rent these properties, we work with local government agencies to receive consistent subsidized market rents and case management wraparound services to make this much more than just housing. So this all sounds good in theory, but what about in reality? We experienced our first traction by raising $100,000 in college to acquire three distressed properties in the Riverside neighborhood. In May of 2019, we finished these homes, launching the Womenvest pilot in partnership with the state of Delaware through our division of health and social services. For the first time in our state's history, DHSS formed a public-private partnership to subsidize the rents with a private landlord focused on positive outcomes. All of these families were able to demonstrate these successful outcomes and increase their independence on the homes, which is our core mission. Due to this initial success with the state, we have since doubled our portfolio. The pilot gave our customers the trust in our ability to execute our mission, which has led to the renewal and expansion of several state contracts. To date, we've housed over 50 individuals consisting of men, women, and children all before the age of 25. While we've made a small impact on the city, there's much work to be done. The United States as a whole needs 370,000 more beds. Delaware needs 10,000 more beds and Wilmington specifically needs 7,500 beds. At $500 per month in gross revenue, that's over $45 million in annual revenue and over $125 million in real estate value that we can create we plan to achieve a 1% market penetration, which is 75 beds by 2022. Keeping our goal of 75 beds in mind, we're eager to complete the renovation of these two beautiful homes here on North Hill Street, just a stone's throw away from our Claymont Street project. Now, one question remains, you invest with the woman best, thank you.
2: I'll jump in. Hi, Joel, great job. Thank you for doing everything you're doing for helping to house people in Wilmington. Um, I just have a couple questions. Great, you're off to a great start, and I'm just wondering as you're dealing with getting started, as you think about the long-term sustainability of of your model, um, how how are you projecting the rent as um, a sustainable source of of revenue for you as properties you know need attention and, and need additional investment and things like that. And then kind of related to that, or maybe a little bit different is, your social purpose is awesome. Um, how are you hoping to be able to balance that social purpose with the drive to want to grow and increase your profits? So maybe pick one of those to answer, I don't know. I don't mean to hog all the time.
1: <laughs> great, great, great. I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll touch on both of those points. Um, so with regards to the sustainability of the funding, um, the alternative for these families, um, which the state has, has really uh, made clear to us, is uh, really most of these families either end up staying in motels, which the state is paying more money for, shelters, or even foster care. And when the families are split up, this actually incurs more cost to the state, uh, as do the motel. So we're actually demonstrating cost savings by keeping these families in stable housing for a point. And for that reason, the state has chosen to renew and expand uh, our contract um, into this uh, this coming year, I'm sorry, this year. And then uh, in regards to scaling, um, we've actually been approached by several prominent developers uh, in the state um, because we know, know we can only fix and work on so many of our own properties at the same time. So developers who have vacancies are now saying, hey, you know can we you know how do you work with the health and social service agency to pull these resources together to to fund fund the units and so we're saying hey we'll help you we'll organize all of this put the program in your unit make sure you're getting the rent and then either have a percentage or some kind of fee on the front end um so that's what we're looking at with affordable housing developers uh like leon wiener and associates and others here in delaware to scale hey
3: Joe, good job there um can you tell us a little bit more about the team or maybe the advisory uh, that's helping you work through all of this? Um, I think we just want to dig into that a bit more. But the full team, that's a lot of what we look at at Techstars.
1: Yes, yes, and I apologize. I have the uh, team slide in our appendices, but really there's three core founders. Uh, we all met in middle school uh, right here in Wilmington, Delaware, and we kind of describe ourselves it's our team, it's funny, as social impact, real estate, and investing. Um, Our co-founder, Bryce, he's very socially minded, um, was a lifelong boy scout, very focused on a lot of the relationship building with DHSS. I'm a lifelong tradesman who grew up in the construction business, uh, working in the family business. That's where I learned all of these skills to renovate the homes. And then Demetrius, our third partner, he attended Wharton, Um, he's very financially savvy. He puts together a lot of the models that we use and, and work with our investors to make sure the deals are good. So we collectively leverage these different strengths to do what we call social impact real estate investing. And uh, our team really, really embodies that. Um, That coupled with a pretty robust board um, of real estate developers, uh, folks who work at these government agencies uh, and others
0: helps us uh, to really, really uh, do this well. Great job, Wilman Best. Next up is Dendwell
4: amazing so um hi everyone i am tenley morning and i'm the founder of Dendwell. we are working to build a social shopping app for vintage furniture and home decor um my story begins after i graduated from columbia with a degree in architecture i emptied my savings account for a studio apartment dreaming of taking my space from this to this Um, but being someone who was interested in unique objects cookie cutter furniture from ikea or west elm wasn't going to meet my needs. And not being able to afford custom furniture, um, I was relegated to the dark aisles of you know it, Craigslist. You know this experience. It's outdated, unreliable, and uninspiring. But for the middle market consumer cut off from high-end antique resale marketplaces, this is often the best option. Um, And as I struggled through this process, I yearned for the content, community, and engagement I had shopping for skincare as I shopped for my home. As furniture and decor shopping grew overwhelming and expensive and uninspiring, I fundamentally felt alone. So Dendwell is a video first curated vintage furniture and decor marketplace. Users use video updates, think Instagram highlights, to sell vintage furniture and decor, as well as track their space as it changes over time. And We monetize by taking 10% transaction fee on every sale. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of how it works, let's say that you just moved into an apartment in Brooklyn and you know you don't wanna buy everything new. On move-in day, you might upload a tour of your empty apartment. um, And later when browsing Dendwell, find a coffee table that you love. Dendwell supports payment processing and shipping of that item to your apartment. And when it arrives, you film an update of that space and continuously uh, film updates on your profile as you add more furniture, add restyling, et cetera. But let's say that you go through a breakup and you need to freshen your space. You would submit that same t- table for relisting on Dendwell, where it goes through object verification, repricing and relisting on the platform. And then comes Jen, another Dendwell user, who lives in the same neighborhood. She's able to pick up that item just from directly from you with Dendwell support. But not only does she get that coffee table for her own space, she also gets the video timeline of the life that that object lives before she had it. This is important because we are applying the content-driven commerce models that we have seen transform the fashion and beauty industries to the home category, tailored to the unique unique challenges of shopping for furniture and decor. And vintage furniture and decor represents a $2.2 billion market opportunity out of the 44 overall uh, e-commerce home furnishing market. 37% of that revenue comes from our target customer. And we're currently the only platform thinking about social commerce for vintage, Uh, resale in the home space. This is incredibly important as since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the home category has seen a 48% increase in spend, and we truly believe that we're entering the decade of home. We're currently operating as a community as a service platform, building trust with our community and hacking the supply of our commerce platform by aggregating vintage vendors into a private B2B community. And once we reach 50,000 members in this content community as a service uh, model, we'll roll out commerce to a cohort of our most engaged members. But we're already proving that we know how to talk to our target customer. We have social engagement far and above platform averages and are growing at a 17% month over month rate, rate having just launched four weeks ago. Our target customer is the young urban renter who identifies as a creative. She's shopping at Everlane and Glossier but where does she shop for her home? Dendwell is filling that gap. Um, My experience was uh, on the founding team of a beauty startup where I took a business, was supported a business to 2 million in revenue in just under two years. My team brings domain expertise in uh, community building and editorial content, and we're onboarding a CTO. In Q3, we'll launch a a pre-seed raise, but support from first founders and partners could help extend our runway. Thank you.
3: Hey, good job, I'm uh, oh, sorry, Chamil. Um, hey, I really like that. I love the flow of that pitch. Uh, couple questions, and I really want to understand the business model. I'm not, I'm not familiar with community as a service. Uh, I can't keep up to date with all the cool new things. So, can you talk to me a little bit more about how you make money? Um, yeah.
4: So right now, we're not focused on monetizing this community. We're really just focused on building trust and positioning Dendwell as the brand to come to when shopping for vintage and decor. There is a huge explosion of independent vintage sellers shopping on Instagram, for example, Um, Mm. but they're really decentralized. And so we just launched a couple of weeks ago a curated directory of vintage sellers. Um, And so we're using that directory to really uh, become the kind of name of this new movement. Glossier is a really good comp in terms of how we're thinking about about building the building out the community and ultimately monetizing.
3: Okay, cool. Yeah, because I remember the market size. Okay, that's helpful. That that it's sort of like a two stage process, and that helpful. Thank you.
2: Great job, Tenley. I don't really have any questions for you. I guess one of my questions is: um, Are you still involved in your beauty startup, or is this your your sole focus for now?
4: No, no. I was um, I wasn't a founder on that. I was a, a founding. I was team number team member number one, um, but I left that in twenty nineteen to pursue
2: this full time. Okay, and it seems like it's pretty um, a pretty unique space. Do you have any competitors that you can identify at this point?
4: Yeah. So there are there are other places that you can buy resale furniture, so like Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. Um, but when we're really looking at platforms like uh, Depop or um, Object Limited, really, who are thinking about adding that social element into shopping for vintage furniture and decor, and in that way, no, we don't have any direct
2: competitors. Awesome, great job. Did I? Um, I just have the final
3: question. Uh, did you talk about the transaction or the tr- the tracking that you've had, like? Website looks amazing. Um, and so I'm wondering if you've had a lot of purchases on it uh, outside, like, yeah. Just tell me about the traction of the summary, I guess.
4: Yeah, so um, again, we're really focused on kind of those community metrics. So we're growing our community 17 currently 17% right. month over month. We have social engagement rate is about at 10%, which typical platform is like 4%. As That's the same goes for our email subscription. We're at like 55% engagement. Yeah. Um, and so we're, yeah, we're really just focused on the community and, and ultimately I think we're, we validated the fact that we understand how to speak to this community Um, and to kind of bring them into our universe.
0: Next up is going to be Get Potluck. I'm Hope. I'm Abu. And we we are Get Get Potluck. Potluck.
5: When we were young, we both ate a variety of ethnic dishes from Puerto Rican arroz con candulas
6: to Sierra Leone and fufu.
5: However, what we never realized until we were older is just how hard it is to access the specific ingredients that make these foods so special. So Get Potluck is an ethnic grocery delivery service that leverages local ethnic grocery stores to deliver culture through food. The problem we found is that accessing ethnic groceries is costly and inconvenient. This is because American supermarkets have limited options and ethnic supermarkets are typically far outdated and have no delivery.
6: And so we're filling in the geographical gaps that ethnic groceries um, currently do not reach. We're leveraging the 44,000 plus ethnic supermarkets in the US and we're also acknowledging that by 2045, the US is expected to be over 50% culturally diverse. Which tells us that solutions need to be in place now um, to kind of stay ahead of this new majority so get potluck provides an online marketplace where customers can browse and order ethnic groceries by culture straight from their phones and computers after an order is placed we go into a local ethnic grocer buy those items and deliver that order straight to the customer
5: the american supermarket industry is valued over one trillion dollars The ethnic grocery store industry is valued at $44.3 billion and has seen over a 10% growth this year. Gapotlik is within the ethnic grocery delivery industry, which has a potential value of $4.4 billion and is growing. We've also seen a 400% increase in online grocery shopping that we can tap into.
6: Out of the 128 million households in the US, there are 43 million ethnic households. And we're starting by, um, we're starting with the 1.1 million international students on and around campuses that have told us that they don't have an affordable way of actually getting to ethnic grocery stores. We're also leveraging paid social media marketing as well as grassroots marketing. And, And as a result, we've been able to actually tap into general ethnic households.
5: So I'm one of the co-founders of Get Potluck, and I've been in charge of social media and communications.
6: And I'm the other co-founder of Get Potluck. I've been in charge of operations as well as um, building out our delivery systems.
5: Together, we've completed three accelerators and competed in the Hen Hatch startup funding competition. We've been featured in Horn Entrepreneurship's newsletter, and we were just featured on Technically Delaware as one of the most promising young companies in Delaware right now. We've also completed 40 orders in the past three months, testing our concept out in Delaware. We've also received over hundred inquiries about our service. Our customers spend an average of $115 per order and they typically order one to two times a month.
6: Our revenue currently wraps around delivery fees. However, we're looking to open up um, additional revenue streams uh, by using groceries to create cultural experiences as well as by collecting data towards our own limited supply of inventory that we'll mark up by 10%.
5: Right now, we're raising a total of $50,000 to develop the cultural experience boxes, to be able to handle 200 orders per week, to launch the next version of our website, and to move into Philadelphia by the end of the year. Right now we have $2,000 in our bank account. And since our customers spent $115 per order, that tells us if we got about 17 orders per week, we wouldn't be able to fulfill every order.
6: And so today we are asking for the first place prize, $7,000 to handle about 80 orders per week and ultimately test in Philly by the end of this year. $7,000 allows us to fulfill 63 more orders per week than we'd be able to complete otherwise. So help us make this first step towards scaling and and towards actually, sorry, um, towards actually uh, making Epic Foods a lot more accessible. Thank
2: Thank you. you. (laughs) Great job, Hope and Abu. So I guess one of my questions is like you said, the um, delivery of groceries has just skyrocketed in the last year because of the pandemic. Um, What kinds of threats do you see from platforms like Instacart I know you have a unique value in um, that maybe Instacart, for example, doesn't deliver from ethnic grocery stores, but are you seeing any trends with those bigger platforms moving in that direction? Or, you know, how do you, how are you anticipating the threats that might be there from larger competitors?
6: Yeah. So, so obviously uh, Instacart is, is well established. You know, they have their human resources, they have their um, their are American chain sort of um, supermarkets, uh, but their model is sort of, is based off of that sort of transparent pricing, uh, transparency of inventory and like having the exact brands and all of that kind of stuff. Um, whereas ethnic groceries, uh, like Hope said, they're kind of outdated technologically and as a result, don't actually keep um, tons of inventory um, electronically. Right. And so we kind of think that, you know, we've we've started to develop a competitive advantage there by actually collecting that information and organizing it.
5: Yeah, and we've seen that models with their own inventories. So kind of like GoPuff, if you know, um, they're actually more successful than models like Instacart that rely on the shoppers and drivers to kind of do all of that.
6: Yeah. And so because so we're trying have... to
5: move to that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Thanks.
7: So I, I think this is really interesting because I'm half Greek and one of my biggest frustrations when I moved to Philadelphia was that I would start cooking and I wouldn't know where to get something. Um, Like there were only very few really random stores that carried the stuff that I wanted and none of them do delivery. So I think you're definitely onto something really, really useful. Um, My question is though, I mean, you touched on a few different things. First off, you mentioned GoPuff. Are you looking to eventually carry your own inventory, or do you want to continue to support these, um, these ethnic grocers?
6: Yeah. Um, so uh, our current model, um, our current model, kind of uh, still sort of supports um, ethnic groceries. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier in the presentation, we're we're looking to to um, kind of kind of fill in geographical gaps where um, ethnic groceries currently do not reach. So we'd be targeting, um, for example, students on uni- the uh, University of Delaware campus who are relatively far from ethnic grocers that um, that have foods from their culture and ingredients from their culture.
5: Yeah, and we plan to continue to support them as we collect the data on our own inventory. Um, eventually, we just kind of want our own inventory to make that process easier and limit the cost of having shoppers, but we would still, um, use the ethnic grocery stores as our means of providing those items.
3: Yep. I just had a quick comment. Um, I see lots of people try and do synchronized audio pitches and that was probably the best one I've seen where you both didn't speak over it and it was really clear. I just wanted to say shout out to you for that. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> oh, you missed that one, but that's fine.
0: <laughs> right, next up is the cubby.
8: Hello, First Founders. My name is Josh Kim. And today, I would like to present to you the Cubby, the community marketplace where college student creators can showcase and sell their work to the public. Everyone who is pitching tonight has one thing in common. We are all makers. Whether we call ourselves entrepreneurs, startup founders, or small business owners, we are all one and the same. We love to make. We love to create. We love to build. But there's also something that we all know about making. It's really freaking hard to do it well. But on top of that, it's even harder to do something when you're doing it on your own. I still remember when I was working on the cubby on my own during the entire first year and feeling so vulnerable and so scared, I was building something that other people wouldn't like. Would they like the marketplace? Would they even want the marketplace? Would people even use it? It was during this process where I actually specifically discovered the target users I was building for. As a college student myself, I realized that I was surrounded by other passionate and hardworking creatives who are constantly trying to improve their craft. As I dug deeper into the problems that these student creators had, I realized that the Etsy's, Society6's and Redbubbles were not satisfying their needs. So what is the Cubby and how do we solve this problem for student creators? We have three massive value propositions that give us an advantage over all the other market, art marketplaces. Number one, the Cubby is a college exclusive marketplace. We can only allow .edu email addresses to sign up for the platform to be a seller on the, on the platform. Number 2 we focus on the profile side of the platform rather than the products. Etsy, Society6 and Redbubble like i mentioned earlier, they're oversaturated with way too many with way too many products and there's no focus on the person behind the product. Who is making this and what is their story? And number 3, a massive massive value proposition is that artists keep 100% of the of the product, of the profits. 100% of the commissions. We're the first marketplace to do this and we are very proud to do so. Anyone in the world, in the nation, can now access these pieces of work from the artists. It's exclusive for selling on the artist side, but it's open to the entire nation on the buying side. So you just heard that we're giving 100% of the profits to the artist. You guys are probably thinking, how in the world are we making money? We have a premium model where we provide artists the data analytics behind the customers who are viewing their work, clicking their work, how long are they on the platform? Customers want to see, artists want to see where the customers are coming from, and they want to learn how to be a better seller. Ultimately, that is also the shared goal that the cubby has. We want them to reach new audiences to sell more and ultimately be a better seller on the cubby. So who is specifically the target customer and what is our market size? Our target customer, like I mentioned, on the selling side are these student creators with .edu email addresses. Whether they're getting a BFA, an MFA, or just doing R on the side, this is an accessible marketplace that they can all reach. The market size and the total addressable market that our team has figured out is that students are creating on average 20 pieces of work yearly with around ten 10%, percent 10% of these pieces being sold, with a total of around twenty forty dollars um, in average dollars piece, as Etsy has proven themselves. So that is a third three five billion dollar total addressable market. And for context, Etsy's marketplace is a two has a twenty six point nine three billion. As for traction, the Cubby actually launched just three weeks ago, and we now have over two thousand users with over five hundred pieces of artwork on our platform. We're hitting double digit sales weekly, and we totally are very overwhelmed with the amount of support that we received as a team and as a product. With the $7,000 that we would love to uh, receive from First Founders, we would love to secure partnerships with galleries, art organizations, and art departments on different college campuses in order to further our mission in empowering college students. These funds are essential for us to incentivize these organizations in order to make The Cubby the best experience for our Cubby creators. My name is Josh Kim, and this is The Cubby. Thank you very much.
3: Hey Josh, so uh, my first comment um, really is, I was really excited at the start because I was like, there's a new approach coming and I, was, I don't know, really wanted to just see you speak to it but it felt like without a presentation, it kind of made it a little bit harder to follow along um, with all the things to cover. Um, I think kind of, you might've been reading off a script. If you had memorized it and were looking straight at the camera, I'd be like, cool, this is so engaging. It's like me, and you talking alone, but it wasn't. And so for that, you know, I, you lose a couple of points in terms of the delivery there. But, um, so I did kind of get lost in it. Um, and, and so let me just reiterate or just confirm. So the platform keeping students connected, um, it's sort of like social network, but a bunch of other things too. Is that right?
8: Is that sure? We're just a marketplace that, uh, mm-hmm. that allows college students to showcase and sell their work to, um, so so, Yes. Yeah,
3: so, okay. So, so not social network marketplace created, so Fiverr for students only right or or upwork creators yeah people we
8: say we're an etsy for college students um is the simple way to put it okay
3: all right so then my final question and then i'll let the others jump in for sure is uh why do you think this needs to be a marketplace that is only for students and not just for anyone um we often find that people want to you know they care about it when they're in college and the moment you leave college you don't care and you realize there's a whole world of people out there why only students right
8: So at the very moment, our focus is on um, bringing on the students who are getting from zero to one in in their creator journey. So what that means is essentially, these are students who have not sold before, who have actually not received money, who have not really shared their work too much to the public. We've identified these customers and these users because there are no platforms that are out there right now that are empowering them, that are highlighting them. Like I mentioned earlier in the pitch, Etsy, Society6, they have way too many products. All they want to do is focus on the profits. And, you know, in the last few weeks that we've seen, we've seen this as a definite need that these college students um, are looking for to highlight their work and to what you mentioned about post college, you know what is happening after um, they graduate college, we're actually working on a bridge program where these post graduates can actually enter a network in a community where they can whether, whether or not it's them helping out the undergraduates that are currently in college, but we're also looking to open up um, potentially another revenue model as well. Where they would pay a subscription fee to be a part of the cubby given their success in it and the undergraduate experience got it love that you're thinking about it thank you thank you
7: i would agree with a lot of a lot of the points that saba made but also i mean my background is very heavy in experience design and and discovery and things like that and i'm wondering who exactly are you targeting um for this who 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 are you targeting to purchase from
8: the cubby? Sure, so we've actually identified two customer segments, recent graduates and young adults to be our prime um, target customers. Um, The reason being is we we want them to go on the cubby when they're finding their first apartment, their first home, why is that? Because they actually do not have the capital and the cash and really the luxury to spend, to decorate their entire uh, home and apartment. And I don't know if you guys remember the first apartment that you guys got, but you guys definitely want to decorate it, make it look good. And so you know being recent grads um whether it's the whether it's the empathy that they have for college the college experience and the college students but also that tie that they want to have with their college experience um that we want to provide them and also our, our marketplace is exclusive uh is very um um we're specialized in uh, uh more inexpensive prices and so we want to make sure that that's accessible for both college student creators as well as the customers
9: awesome job next up is kitty credit good evening now Before I get started today, I want to take everybody through a mental journey. Think back to when you got your first credit card. Now, think about some of the first purchases you made, be it clothes, shoes, maybe some books, maybe not books, but now think back to when you saw your credit score for the first time. How many of you understood how that score even came to be? If you're like me, you had no clue. Hello, my name is Evan Leapart, and I'm the founder and CEO of Kitty Credit. So what's the problem? Well, the majority of Americans can't pass a basic financial literacy test for starters. So this leads down a slippery slope towards bad debt and bad credit scores. And statistics show you'll pay 8% more in interest on an auto loan if you have bad credit versus excellent credit. And when it comes to understanding your credit score in the first place, almost half of Americans don't even understand how that score came to be. So this got us to thinking. We wanted to make a solution that focuses specifically on teaching about credit. When leveraged properly, it can be used as a tool to generate wealth and increasing credit knowledge across all income levels has the ability to level the playing field, taking steps towards economic equality for those historically disadvantaged. And this isn't just a favor. The financially underserved market is a $173 billion market overall. Now, due to COVID, there's a strong appetite going forward for more digital learning solutions. In fact, the projections of the global learning market have doubled in light of the pandemic. And side note with that too, I do hope everyone's socially distanced while listening to this. Now, the way our current product works is simple. Our public beta, which is out now, uh, the admin will assign chores or activities for the child to complete. After completing them weekly, they'll be issued a credit score, which is based off of performance, which will determine how many rewards they get, which they can use to redeem items monetary or non-monetary, totally depending on the parent. We wanted to include non-monetary reward issuance as well because... Not all parents can afford to pay allowance, and some may say simply the allowance is the roof over your head. That was how I grew up. Now, how do we calculate the score you asked? It's simple. We created an algorithm that parallels traditional FICO models. So think of a mischore chore like a mispayment. payment. The longer you've had a chore is like the longer you've had a credit card. And anytime a child says, hey, mom, can I get this? Hey, dad, can I get this? Think of it like an inquiry. Now, since the launch of our public beta, we've had over 50,000 chores completed in the app and just recently passed 5,000 families on the app. We've been featured in outlets like CNBC, Bankrate, now this, and we're called the financial literacy app teaching kids about credit by Forbes. And we've lined up multiple partnerships in recent months with the largest so far being Equifax. They're a client of ours for Q1, and we also have a pilot in Q1 for YMCA, which is the first step towards our total inclusion in their 2025 strategic plan. Now, through our initial pilots and additional customers, we're already expecting over 100 k in Q1 revenue alone. Now, the Equifax partnership has been huge for us, validating this as a thought leader and effectively teaching credit to youth. Upcoming development includes a product recommendation engine, so think Credit Karma for Kids, where we recommend different products to families based off of geolocation and need. And through our seed funding, we intend to have over 200 hours of educational programming and apps. Our business models B2B2C as we'll work with organizations and municipalities looking to provide additional resources to their intended audience at a rate of $50 per year per family. Now, as for myself, I'm a professional mentor to youth, co-founder of the Black Men Talk Tech Conference, and as a serial entrepreneur, I believe entrepreneurship is the key to economic equality and to increase access to capital for all, we must increase credit scores. Mike Gross. Philly resident has taught financial literacy and entrepreneurship to inner city youth for over 15 years. And our CTO, Vic Moreno, is a lead engineer at Amazon with a master's of science and finance. So not only does he code at a high level, but he codes with a financial brain. Now, since we're limited in time, I won't go through the remaining team members, but I assure you they're equally as impressive. So we're currently raising our seed round where we have over half committed notable investors in the round, such as Miami Heat legend, Dwayne Wade, and Monique Eidlit, managing partner at RainBC BC, who currently co-stars in the show Undercover Billionaire. So fun fact, if you watch the show, if you see episode one of season two, you'll see my curly hair itself make a brief cameo. Thank you all for your time, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Evan Leapart, And again, this is Kitty Credits.
2: Great job, Evan. I love the, I love the product. Um, I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about the technology behind it and what makes it unique.
9: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, chore tracking is something that's been been done for for quite a while. Actually, one of our advisors created the the chore tracking app that had the most amount of users, uh, Chore Monster, right? And um, what we did is kind of a unique spin. We use that mechanism to educate about credit, right? So we're not just financial literacy as a whole. We're honed in on the topic of understanding credit. So it's it's literally the engine behind what we do, right? So missed chore is a missed payment. Um, you get reward points, but if you're using all of your rewards, it's essentially like high utilization. The more chores you can take on, it's essentially like your credit mix. So we're we're not trying to have an eight year old understand FICO implicitly. We're just trying to create a parallel world between solid foundational habits and solid credit scores as you as you get older. All
10: right, thank you.
3: Um, I have a cheat code because I've we've met before, and I've. Uh... I love what you're doing, and I think this is so good. Your insight into this industry is awesome. Um, the team is fantastic, so I, I don't have questions other than like, yeah. I mean, I've, how many how many chores have you done now?
9: Uh, Fifty thousand.
3: Fifty thousand. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't remember what number was last time, but that's phenomenal. Um, yeah, no question. Just I love it. It's really good. Thank People you. need to. Uh, I would be using this for my kids, um, once I get kids.
2: (laughs) I have one more question about the the revenue model. Could you just go into that a little bit more? I I understand the partnerships, but just kind of how that will work.
9: Yeah, sure. So when we started, like naively, we were essentially like, you know, just all parents will download it, they'll love it, they'll pay premium. But what we realized is that the best way to, so engagement is tough, right, in this particular space right? Because it's, it's a, you need dual usage. You need the parent to essentially download it and stay engaged with it. And you need the kid to use it too. But the people that are the biggest supporters of what we're doing tend to be parents that have faced some sort of financial adversity at one point in their lives and really want to see that future change for them. So um, what we said is, look, if we work with organizations and municipalities to where this is a focus for them, it's essentially like a dual initiative to increase you know to encourage the engagement right so to narrow down the organizations like so for example like a ymca it works a big brother big sisters it works um boys and girls club like places where we all had initial conversations because people are already kind of going to them to you know better themselves or better their kids so we see this as a, a kind of an additional push from there um So that just from the business model itself, but then going into that even further, the people that need to learn about credit the most are the people that probably shouldn't pay monthly for anything else, you know? So we also felt it was responsible by design to go with that. And then, so yeah, so we charge $50 per per family unit per year. We'll probably convert that to a monthly model. Uh, We just did that essentially because we're a lean startup to be able to front load. we'll switch to, to a monthly model and then white labeling is available for user licenses larger than a hundred thousand
0: great job evan next up is fempac
11: did you know that almost half the world's population menstruates over 80 percent of menstruating people experience unexpected periods multiple times in a year some more than others now if you're not familiar with the term menstruating or menstruation i'm sure you've gotten a call from your wife partner or daughter asking you to pick up a box of tampons or pads from the store. But imagine if they had a really important meeting and they were just about to present in front of a crowd or it's the end of the second quarter to a big game or even while serving in the field for their country, it happens. It's an, oh, I just got my period in public kind of feeling. Now, there are only so many options from here. One, putting those Mr. MacGyver skills to use and creating a makeshift pad. Or two, putting their brave face on and praying to God there isn't a stain on the back of their clothing by the time that they're finished. So what's the solution? Well, at FEMPAC, we've developed a convenient, sustainable emergency kit to help businesses stay prepared for menstruating customers and employees. Our kits come with one black panty, one pad, one tampon, one plant-based applicator, one panty liner, one feminine wipe, one two tablet ibuprofen, and one dark chocolate mini for cravings. It's the perfect solution to every menstruating person's problem. Now our team consists of myself. My name is April Roy and I'm the founder and CEO. I have a BA in Fine Arts with 10 years of product development experience. My COO Billy Golson has an MBA with over 15 years of military service experience in operations. Jenny Golston, my CSLO, has a BS and MS with over eight years of military experience building warehouse um, in medical emergency warehouses, as well as Eric Johnston. My CMO and CTO, who has a degree in graphic design as well as web design, has over 10 years of branding and web development experience. Now the global feminine hygiene product market garnered over $24 billion last year. We see about 10% of that being Finpac's addressable market. Our kits will be sold at $625 a unit, wholesale to enterprise businesses, $799 a unit retail to small and medium businesses, and about 70% profit margins. Now we're looking to partner with those in the emergency response space, other military branches, the outdoor space, women's sports, convenience, um, as well as retailers such as Walgreens and Walmart, and those in the travel and hospitality industry. Now, FINPAC has had such success as Arkansas Conductor Pitch Winner, CAI Scale Challenge Winner. We were part of Arkansas 10X Accelerator, a finalist in the Big Pitch, and we are currently a part of WeWork's Labs community. We partnered with Safety Before Skills Swim School, Museum of Discovery, Arkansas Economic Development Commission, the Greater Benville Chamber of Commerce, uh, Arkansas Period Poverty Project, and Arkansas National Guard. Now, our competitors include P&G, Kimberly-Clark, subscription services such as Lola and Family, but our direct competitors are, are those overly prepared users and period underwear company thinks. But what gives us a competitive advantage that our seven-in-one emergency kit will be the first to market menstrual kit in the convenience space, allowing women to live, play, and work without any fear, period. So today, we're seeking one of three prizes to use towards our FDA registration and our G10 barcodes. So join us in making FinPAC available to every menstruating person around the globe by ending the uh, stigma surrounding periods as well as doing our part to end period poverty. To learn more, visit our website at www.finpac.com Let's change the world.
7: Was, I, wanna, I, I wanted to, to add, first off, I'm, I'm a little choppy right now. I actually live in an RV. I'm, I'm traveling. And I was in the Air Force. So I totally, many of the emergencies you mentioned are things that hit me. <laughs> and actually, I, I had to get my RV towed the other day. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I forgot to take my tampons out. So totally get it. I have a question about the the language that you use and your, your target audience. Um, because you say people who menstruate, but the name doesn't seem as inclusive to include all people who menstruate that might not identify as women. I don't know if you've thought about that or, you know, it sounded like you might have from the language you use, but I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are.
11: Yes, yes, definitely. Um, when I first launched my company, I had someone to reach out to me and was like, hey, just so you know, not all people, not all women who menstruate identify themselves as a woman or female. And so I started to change the language then. So that's why I say menstruating people, just because not all people who menstruate are women.
2: Good job, April. Um, I just have a question about your, I get the, um, the markets generally, but the model in terms of who you're selling to directly, like who you're actually targeting to sell to.
11: We are a B2B company. Um, We have just relocated to Bentonville, Arkansas with the help of the Chamber of Commerce. And so we are piloting piloting our um, product there because those are the industries that we're targeting. So the um, manufacturing industry. So we have companies like Tyson Foods and Simmons. Um, as well as um, the sporting industry as well. Um, And so we're able to hone those markets here in Northwest Arkansas so we can expand regionally and nationally.
3: Have you thought about uh, a channel of like vending machines or cargo, which is a company that Uber works with to like, it just, you know, it just in cars available. Have you thought about that at all? I'm just curious to see how you think about it.
11: Yes, uh, definitely. So um, an advisor of mine, Bjorn Simmons, uh, he sold his company to Don Dixon, who owns PopCom. And so we were thinking about partnering with her um, in the vending space for um, our product.
7: Consider adding some chocolate with peanut butter. But besides that, it sounds really cool. <laughs>
11: Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we figured that we can create period equity through the corporate partners. So if they start, then we can begin to normalize the conversation surrounding periods and in uh, the
10: stigma as well.
0: All right, next up is Golden Hour.
10: Hi, my name is Carthy. I am the founder and CEO of Golden Hour. We help people find, set, and achieve their goals in the midst of their busy lives. Golden Hour was born out of a class project when I was an undergrad at Cornell. Back then, like many other students, I felt tremendous pressure to do all the things. And it wasn't until much later that I realized there's more to life than having the longest resume on the block. Ever since I wanted to help shift this paradigm of productivity and purposeful living from getting things done to doing the right things. College students often don't know what the right things to do are and they stress themselves out trying to do it all. They're learning to manage their lives on their own for the first time while also trying to figure out what they wanna do with the rest of their lives. At Golden Hour, building a productivity tool to make it all a bit easier to track and manage, it is a one-stop shop for scheduling, task management and self-improvement. We help our users break their goals across various domains of life into actionable steps, either tasks or routines. Each day we encourage our users to plan and review their day. Our product also features a goal discovery experience where users can browse different ideas and activities and choose what they want to bring to their lives. We're gonna be initially focused on meeting the needs of undergrad students, helping them bridge the gap between college and a career, and supporting them in building the soft skills they need to be successful in the next phase of their lives. We'd also pre-populate all of their class schedules, assignment deadlines, and exam dates, and help them break down daunting tasks like studying for an exam or writing a paper into more bite-sized chunks, nudging them to make progress early and often. We also wanna leverage micro communities on campus to harness accountability and collaboration across shared goals and career aspirations. We launched an alpha last year. We've had over 700 people sign up, over 40 college students who've interned with us since then and many more that we've had conversations with. We're launching a beta with a mobile app in June and introducing a key new workflow around daily planning and review that we're very excited about. We have already a plan to partner with several schools and organizations to help their communities achieve goals and well rounded wellness. We are planning on a freemium SaaS revenue model. Direct to consumer is always an option, but we're focused on B2B to C sales through schools and organizations. The base product is free to use. Users would upgrade for integrations like calendar or for students access to all their class information. We plan to start with students at top tier schools, since they are motivated and driven to work hard and also more likely to have the financial means to support our business model as we get off the ground. Then we'll expand out to the broader student population, including high school and grad school. The next market we want to branch out into after that is mental health. Eventually, we are gunning for mass adoption and truly believe that there is no upper bound to how big Golden Hour could grow. We're currently raising a pre-seed round of the tune of $1 million. Um, A cash price for an event like today would go towards updating our website and creating a promo video so we can make a big splash with our beta launch. And this is our team. We've got the product design and development shops to create a really compelling user experience, as well as a large network of college students to help us spread the word. Our advisors are seasoned entrepreneurs and have connections to schools. And we have a unique vantage point entering the productivity market focused on students, but we're building with expansion in mind and ultimately want to serve anyone who needs to plan and wants to improve their life. Over the past decade, there's been this seismic shift towards health and wellness trends and the global consciousness movement. More than ever, people are seeking new ways to heal our communities and our planet. We believe that transforming the world begins with each individual transforming themselves. We're also bringing our product to market in an opportune moment in human history where the need to self-impose structure and self-care into our lives has never been more important. We hope to help people grow by offering a seamless planning experience that is infused with passion and purpose. And that's a wrap. Thank you.
3: Hey, Kathy. Great job there. Uh, I love the name. I love the branding. I love the value prop. Anything that makes life more efficient is super cool. Um, I I missed something in between. And I just want to know, so do you have any of this built yet? Or is this in the works? Okay. Yeah,
10: we launched an alpha last year. Um, it's a web-based product. It's it's live at goldenhour.com, and um, we're we're really focused on building daily engagement and daily planning into the the next version beta.
3: Okay, got it. And so, um, tell me a little bit more about uh, the, like the active, like what 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 are you seeing? How many people are coming back to it every day or every week? Um, out of the amount that are that are there.
10: Yeah, great question. So we have around 20 to 30 weekly active users. I would say um, given the the product that we've built today, uh, there wasn't a mobile app with notifications and that was probably our biggest deal breaker for most people. There wasn't anything bringing them back to the product consistently. So that's the feedback that we're really um, using to drive the beta launch. Um, Not only will it be mobile first with notifications but it's really gonna be about planning your day, picking the things you want to work on, and building a schedule, um, not in the way you would with a calendar where everything has to be time-bound, but more so just creating an order of operations for what you want to achieve and how you're going to go about your day.
12: Yeah,
10: okay. Thank you.
12: Sweet. Ariel?
10: Yeah,
2: nice job, Parthi. Um, I'm curious about the, I'm assuming you have some, some data behind this issue to sort of formulate this, this problem that you're solving with your product Um, and then maybe sort of related to that on your slide with your target markets you talked about ivy league colleges so just wanted to see if you had a little more to share on why you're targeting ivy league versus just any kind of university or, or college level and maybe what some of your research showed as far as what the real problem is that needs to be solved.
10: Yeah, so I think the the huge driver for us to target Ivy Leagues or top tier schools is because the students are already really motivated and driven to work hard. Um, they likely have goals and high aspirations. And so um, having them start with our product um, just allows us to kind of bring early adopters on board who have a lot to manage across schoolwork, extracurriculars, perhaps part-time jobs, but are also really driven towards um, a career and um, you know, making time for uh, whatever is gonna help them prepare for the next phase of their lives. And that's a huge component of our branding and marketing is, well, how do we get students to make time for the things that bring them joy and make them better? Um, and again, also um, for, for financial reasons, um, for us to be able to uh, get off the ground, we wanna target um, schools where there are uh, deeper pockets.
7: Yeah, I, I guess my the only thing I wanted to add in is is something that I think Ariel was touching on on that question. I, I feel like having an open mind to to other universities um, rather than just Ivy League students. I mean, I don't think that they are the most motivated. Um, I think they're just the in the best position. Um, for their their future but I do think there are a lot of people who don't go to I League schools that could really benefit from something like what you're working on so
10: totally yeah and I mean we're not restricting access to the product to anyone just kind of focusing some go-to-market efforts and outreach on some of those schools where you know if we did land those schools it would be much easier to get other schools on board just because of the name brand and recognition that comes with that
0: great job Karthi next up is of course, next up is Backyard Gig. Meet Mr. Weiss, a local household who needed to move
12: some furniture from a storage unit to his daughter's apartment. He couldn't move all the furniture himself and was looking for some extra hands. However, he didn't want to deal with someone from a hard to use and untrustworthy site, instead needed someone he could count on in a safe and timely manner, but nothing
13: was there for him. Like Mr. Weiss, people need tasks done daily, but are unable to get them done because of various reasons, such as lack of time, expertise, money, or even lack of ability, and don't have a way to find a safe, reliable, and trustworthy person to help them out. After interviewing over 100 people, we've heard the same thing over and over again. Local households need their tasks done, but can't get them done for many of the reasons just mentioned. Small businesses need technical and utility work done, but can't afford the capital to bring on full-time employees or hire professionals who will overcharge them. And students are in need of money, or are unable to get it because they can't maintain a part-time job with their busy school schedule. That's where we come in.
12: Backyard Gig is a two-sided marketplace that allows local households and small businesses the ability to post their tasks, and in return, bright, hardworking, and local students can find those tasks and complete them on their own time. What we offer is an easier, safer, and more reliable solution than alternatives. The value that we offer for our solution is the task force of background checked embedded students, the ability to find help locally in a timely manner and a safe and easy to use transaction system ensuring reliability and security. Our solution is the most efficient and easiest to use platform out there adding value to the market that is currently not present in competitor solutions.
13: So how do we make money? The way our platform works is we would take a percentage of every transaction made. The size of that percentage is dependent on how many tasks a student has completed in the past and what their average rating is. As you can see, the more tasks a student completes and the higher their rating becomes, the more money goes into their pockets. Currently, we have our MVP platform out on the market. In just a short time span, we've had 33, over 33 tasks posted on the site, ranging from things such as weeding to tutoring to even revamping a website for a business. Roughly over $4,200 has been transacted on our current platform. And this is all with the limited circumstances we are currently under due to the ongoing pandemic.
12: When we've talked to Backyard Gig users, we asked why they opted to use us rather than existing platforms out there. As you can see, many of the current platforms just don't get the job done. Or if they do, it's very hard to deal with people on them. Instead, people have said positive things about our site showing us we have a real advantage over competitors in this $17 billion subsector of the gig economy market. With the funding of $20,000, we feel we can accelerate our growth and scalability and it'll give us the opportunity to provide additional functionality, helping customer acquisition and expand out to other college towns.
13: As two college students ourselves, we have firsthand knowledge about the problem at hand for our peers struggling to make money. Apart from that, we have been mentored by many people in the industry who have guided us throughout our entrepreneurial journey while also providing valuable connections and resources, which has made us much more knowledgeable about the market we are in. And we feel we are the perfect team to lead this venture to success.
12: Going back to our friend, Mr. Weiss, was he able to complete his task? Yes. With the help of Backyard Gig, him and others can now get things off to do list as they're now able to find trusted, reliable, and safe students all in their local area. Thank you.
2: Great job, guys. Sorry if I missed this, but um, what's your traction been like so far? If you could just go into that a little bit more.
13: Yeah, so we initially uh, launched in the fall of 2020. And this was based just a basic MVP platform that we focused on gathering data to see if the actual problem and solution worked out, as well as our sales funnel. And we didn't market it that uh, much. We just wanted to see how people were doing. And we essentially used free methods of uh, advertising, such as posting in Facebook groups and other platforms, as well as we got some a local free press from two articles that were posted about us. And from the small sample size, we have a, I think we mentioned it before, we had a, a around 33 posts that have been posted and around $4,000 has been transacted just from the MVB platform with limited uh, marketing so far.
7: You know, I, I guess my one question is always, sorry, I'm trying to make sure I don't get choppy. My one question is always, um, why just college students? I always, I just think it's really interesting when people just target college students as far as like the service provider, because that to me is the least attractive thing as someone who would hire someone. If I'm looking to hire someone, I've used all those other services, but if I'm looking to hire someone, I wouldn't be interested in hiring someone because they're a student. I'm interested in hiring someone because they're skilled. And, and this is also coming from someone who worked multiple jobs in college, and I've done painting and things like that for people with my uncles. So I... I probably would have thrown myself on the site, but I, as someone who would hire someone, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's if I would want to hire a student and rely on them.
13: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so essentially, when we were looking at the problem at hand, uh, we saw that there was actually a big opportunity because college students and Generation Z are actually very important to the gig economy workforce. Around over half percent, uh, over fifty percent of Generation Z is involved in the. Gig economy workforce, which is a huge percentage. Uh, but the thing is, there's no platforms that actively target these individuals. And from what we did uh, based on our research as well as our customer interviews, what we found is that these households and small businesses in college towns, they prefer to hire these college students because not only were they uh, college students, but their fact the fact that they were local and within their geographical, geographical proximity added that layer layer of safety and trust. And on top of that, you have college students that have the problem of making money. As you mentioned, you would go on the platform. So when we put two and two together, we thought, why wouldn't you focus on college students when you have this growing market in college towns that is pretty underrepresented in the gig economy with ta- uh, platforms like TaskRabbit? They actually don't focus on college town markets and suburban areas. They actually focus on the urban areas. And what we found is that there's a lot of money that's there to be uh, Taken in college town markets. Next up is Cafecito.
14: Hi, everybody. My name is Irma. I'm the CEO of Cafecito. And uh, go ahead and start with my, my pitch. Have you ever joined a community group of professionals to find like minded people and connect, but you still felt siloed? I've been there. After I moved from Miami, Florida to Indianapolis, Indiana, and I started working remotely for the very first time, I saw a decrease in my productivity and experienced more anxiety than ever. Little did I know, it was caused due to isolation. And I'm not alone. Minorities are shown to be even more isolated in this new virtual environment due to the lack of social access and today social isolation is impacting two thirds of all adults and directly increasing the risk of premature death from any cause by almost 30%. This is a huge problem pre-COVID and it's become even more widespread with one third of US workers working remotely and seeking human connection. When we look at communities like entrepreneurship spaces or groups focused on bringing together minorities like the wing, we find that many groups are paid and these memberships include benefits like events, webinars, conferences, and more. But What keeps coming up from members is they're seeking to meet one another and organizers just don't have the time to curate these connections. Roughly 55% of community organizers from a recent survey reported that it's difficult to consistently engage members, and long-term, if this problem was fixed, that would increase engagement, retention, and new acquisition for these communities. I mean, just imagine a 20,000-member Slack group like this one, or a co-working space where nobody knows each other, yet it's supposed to be be a community of people that you can trust, talk shop with, and build friendships with. In this environment, it's easy for members to disengage and turn, and that's the last thing organizers want. And with communities growing more rapidly than ever, we're here to help with our custom matching and community building tool. My name is Irma and I'm the founder and CEO of Capacito. We are a startup in the community building space that already has three paid customers in two months and previously organically grew a consumer product to 3000 users in less than one year. We primarily help small to medium sized community groups like entrepreneurship groups and co-working spaces that are independently owned, foster a sense of belonging by connecting, engaging and retaining their audience easily. On the flip side, members of these communities feel connected and engaged. Right now, community groups have members that are churning because they're disengaged, they haven't met anyone, they're isolated and they aren't motivated to contribute and this directly impacts loss of revenue and retention for these organizations. With our tool at AI in the future, we can de- completely change this problem for community groups and in the future, many different verticals as they make efforts to recreate in-person socialization and connectedness. In terms of attraction, uh, we launched our, our B2B MVP um, in mid-January of this year, and we have our first paid pilot underway with our second one starting next week. We have three paying customers and four active leads in our pipeline, and we're also leveraging our B2C product, which we launched last year to create a funnel into our B2B product. We have a pretty unique opportunity as the pandemic has impacted both organizations and professionals who were used to the in-person water cooler and now have transitioned to virtual. 260 million professionals are working from home right now and seeking for ways to foster human connection. Our serviceable serviceable, addressable market is comprised of of these 50,000 plus groups and our initial target market would result in 47 million ARR if every independent community were to pay at least $75 per month. This number would of course grow as we reach larger communities and as we expand into additional segments over time. We have built a first class group of team members, advisors and interns who have worked in product development, marketing and enterprise products. My background is in psychology and product and I've also been working remotely for many years. Uh, Keith and Craig are our two core developers with years of experience in engineering and management and Jessica and Russell are supporting and carrying out our social media and data initiatives. We are seeking to use the funds towards engineering and marketing to help us keep up with the new and existing demand for our pilot product and to reach more independent organizers. Our ask is if you are, if you do run a community group or know anybody who does, we would love to get in contact and see if we can help them. Thank you for sharing this time with me and I'm happy to answer any questions. I know there are a few
7: other, well, I've heard of several other apps that are doing similar things
14: right now. It's, who are your biggest competitors and, and what makes you different? Yeah, great question. Um, our biggest competitor right now is an app called Donut. Um, it's a Slack bot, um, lives in Slack. Essentially it randomly connects you with another person in that Slack group. We're different from Donut. Um, we have essentially an algorithm um, and later on we'll incorporate machine learning to create connections that actually have purpose. Um, Random connections are great, but if you can't provide people with at least a conversation starter that's custom to them or a background on what Liz does outside of work, it kind of makes the conversation a little bit hard for people. So we provide all of that data to folks um, and curate connections uh, just purposefully, whereas Donut is more of that random connection um, and it only is Slack bot. for them right now, as 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 they're in the market.
2: Great job, Irma. I think part of my question, maybe you answered it, was: is the model um, when you're pulling in these pre-existing groups or um, organizations that maybe already have a platform, but you're putting them on this platform? Are you just you're going down into the individuals that are part of those organizations, or are you just? Um, aggregating all of the various organizations onto your platform?
14: For example, if uh, first founders were to use Capacito, they would be the organization and then they would have their own separate kind of internal network and all of their members would go into that internal network. Um, We do have plans to kind of expand that. So if we could create a bigger community of like many first founder groups and then kind of have a bigger network, that's kind of like the bigger plan, but we're just starting off with just uh, one community at a time with their own internal okay program.
2: so yeah you would just be connecting people within each community. Okay. Yes, cool. yes. All right thanks.
14: Thank you. I see a question from Salva. <laughs> um why you why this team? Um I I've been working remotely for many, many years now and solving isolation is like my my core. <laughs> um I wanna make people feel less isolated. Um loneliness is a huge, huge problem that I don't think a lot of us think about at all. Um, like studies have shown that the long-term effects of loneliness are really terrible for us. Um, so if I can, by starting with community groups, if if we can start getting embedded into different cities and states and countries as the tool that, that every community uses for engagement, um, I can really see, you know, um, us being able to solve isolation in in a wider scale. Um, in terms of the team of uh, we we really want to innovate for the future of work. Um, we've all worked remotely. We've all um, experienced this firsthand, um, and so I think that makes us, you know, really set up to to go forward and um, and lead the company. Thank you for your questions. Really appreciate it.
0: All right, we are on our final presenter. Wavelength is up next.
15: Hello, my name is Victor Arriola, and I'm the founder and CEO of Wavelength the first creative platform that converts the social equity of designers into dollars. So today, majority of designers who start their own agencies are unsuccessful. This is due to a bunch of reasons, such as a lack of experience, lack of time management when balancing multiple projects and proposals, or just the inability to properly market themselves. Wavelength enables designers to operate their own agencies by leveling the playing field for all entrepreneurs. The old way of doing things involved designers working for a salary at a huge agency where owners retained most of the profit. Now, a designer can be empowered even if they lack the proper management experience. Our software serves as a one-stop shop in the following ways. One, we enable designers to generate additional leads by redirecting their audiences from social media something that no one in the industry is currently doing. Two, we assist designers to do more while working less by automating client workflows. And three, we instill trust with every transaction by holding payments in escrow until the designer's work is accepted by the client. With the old way of doing things, agency owners had to use multiple tools to manage their entire operation. Now, all they need is wavelength which comes at a fraction of the price of all these services combined. Our target audience is both graphic and UI UX designers, whose markets add up to a whopping $51.8 billion according to IBISWorld. In addition, Wavelength is currently taking a bottom-up approach where we're capturing segments of the market that haven't been accounted for yet. In order for Wavelength to be successful, We identified that our moat has to consist of an ecosystem comprised of university graphic design and UIUX students. These partnerships enables design students to be prepared for the rapidly changing world while allowing them to control their own destinies. The best part about our ecosystem is the fact that new students enroll every semester where word of mouth and network effects will contribute to our exponential growth. Right now, we're currently working and planning to roll out with General Assembly to their global network of students and alums, which is the top UI UX bootcamp in the world, according to uxplanet.org. In addition, we currently have 50 plus designers in an offer release as we're focused on user testing and feedback so we can test our assumptions before we bring the full product into the market. Currently, our team comes with more than 32 plus years of experience working at the top tech, consulting and media companies in the world. To close, we would use the top prize of $7,000 to properly compensate a professional UI UX designer, diligently attempt paid marketing by A-B testing various messages to understand what resonates with our audience, and use the remainder of the funds to help jumpstart our community with resources that they desire. Everyone has a unique frequency, but we could all connect on the same wavelength. Thank you.
2: Great job, Victor. I really like the I really like the concept because I think it's uh, it's sort of the trend that um, people really want to be their own boss. And, and I think the, the gig economy is, is definitely, um, you know, going to be more of a more of a factor going forward. So I like the approach. I don't really have any questions, but um, great job. Thank
7: you. So This is interesting. What gave you the idea for this? I'm, I'm a designer. I'm an experienced designer and I teach, I teach uh, at Drexel and Jefferson. So I, mm-hmm. I understand this market.
15: Great question. So long story short, originally, Wavelength started out as a marketplace for musicians where we connected musicians to visual um, uh, designers, such as uh, graphic designers, photographers, videographers. Now, what we realized through that process, we realized that hey, a two-sided marketplace is extremely difficult. And when we started focusing in on our audience, we saw that a lot of graphic designers that we spoke to were handling their business on Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, and other social media platforms where most of their audiences relied on and where they get most of their conversions. And so we said, hey, if we have the solution, they could just share their profile, their portal um, in their Instagram. If their tweet goes viral, they can share it right under there. They get conversions, and then the lead generation takes them through the entire process.
7: How are you competing with other? You know how, how are you better than than some of the competition? Because there are some some places where where designers post their their work and can get leads. What what makes what you're doing better?
15: Yeah, so you know our tagline in the beginning was we're the first uh, we're the first creative platform that converts the social equity of designers into dollars. So the thing is. A lot of designers are getting their audiences from social media. But the thing is, if we look at the competition such as Dribbble and Behance, that's a place where people post their work. And then if we look at similar like uh, all-in-one platforms such as HoneyBook or Dupesado, they are just more generalized. For us, we're like, hey, you have this interactive portfolio. You're able to redirect this traffic. And we enable that trust for both sides to get paid um, and make sure everything is seamless.
0: Great job, Victor. Victor was our last presenter. So congratulations on being the last one to present. Uh, Congratulations, everybody (laughs) on your successful pitches. What I'm gonna do now is open up um, a room for our judges to jump into to deliberate. I'm I'm just gonna share this. I am so proud of our entire community. Like, First of all, just to be an entrepreneur is, is quite the journey and adventure to say the absolute least. Um, So kudos to everybody for embarking on their own journey and being a part of of ours, right? Like we are truly trying to uh, contribute to to a more inclusive startup ecosystem because there's a lot of work to be done, right? Like, especially for underrepresented founders, we want to make sure that we are uplifting people who deserve to to have the same access um, to equity. In the startup ecosystem. So we are making some good strides on our end, but it is definitely a group effort. Um we'll invest Joel shouting out Horn Entrepreneurship. That's actually where it where it all got started. Uh, so I appreciate you for, for dropping that in the chat. Thanks, Joel. Um, I'm actually going to call on someone if that's okay. So if you're uh videos on you're not safe so um susan it's so great to see you i'm actually gonna uh ask you to unmute if you are willing to what did you think of tonight
16: i thought it was great i it, i'm always amazed to hear the pitches the stories behind the products and services and how far they've come i remember the first time we met and then the cohorts and you know the first meetings and everybody's sitting in a room and they're all kind of going like, eh. um, and out of that comes these great products and services, great pitches, all the background uh, research and information. Um, so I, I guess as a you know forty-year businesswoman, I would just say, if you don't go any further than you went tonight, you've gone a hundred percent further than most people will ever go in their life trying to be an entrepreneur and trying to figure out what it takes to start a business. So kudos. Um, And you guys, you have no idea how fortunate you are to have somebody like Gary um, and his support. So yeah, there you go.
0: Thank you, Susan. Sorry for putting you on the spotlight like that, but that is what we do. So um, this is also what we call stalling. So anybody who's been in a pitch competition before knows that the judges got to do what they got to do. So, you know, we're going to give them some time. Um, let's see who else we have here. Oh, I didn't realize the Wilman Vest team was together. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah.
17: yeah. I just, I, I I was watching a little bit, from back here but now you can't separate us even like the photo i think when we go on no or, or whatever <laughs> it's, it's cool we're always together absolutely it was an awesome event really cool to hear everybody's pitches too um a couple companies that i had known existed and haven't heard about and actually heard their pitches it was awesome opportunity to see what everybody's doing
0: um, I've sort of gone through and, and spotlighted every presenter that had their video on, so sorry, but you're you're in the spotlight now. So if you would like to, to share about, a little bit about how you feel, let us know, what are you thinking?
6: Yeah, so um, hello everybody, uh, we are Good Potluck. Uh, I thought it was really cool just to kind of see, you know, what everybody was working on. You know, we were already kind of aware of woman vests and kind of what they're doing um most people we we haven't we haven't really like kind of um, dug deep into sort of what they were doing and seeing their presentation so it was it was just really cool to me like um to see like sort of where everybody is in their journey you know how much money they've raised um and kind of like their ideas for expansion it's just really cool stuff I really enjoyed that
5: yeah it's also nice to see where everybody's from and how different and diverse the group is it's really cool Yeah, I think being from
4: New York, I typically only ever get to engage with companies that are in New York, but it's really cool to see companies that are doing things that are really impacting their local communities. I think that's really important and um, something it seems like First Founders prioritizes, which is great. I
12: mean,
15: I really enjoyed this event um, pretty much just with the fact that I do have a day job. And so that's the opportunity to connect with other entrepreneurs and like, you know, events that you set up, Gary, and also like the other you know community building things that you do I'm I'm a huge
0: fan. Greatly appreciate all of you it is an awesome community because you all are a part of it.
17: I I, I definitely know how it feels though to not be able to work on your venture like full-time and it's just I mean like anything the older we get the further we get from you know being out of college you know the more reality sets in and all that but um but yeah, it's, it's just a, uh, to think a couple of you guys you know Vince, He would always say, quote Winston, he would use Winston Churchill's quote, what is it? Success is not final, failure is not fatal, yeah. it's the courage to continue, to continue that counts. And it really goes to show, like, if you want to do something, like, you'll do it. It's just, is that here, you know? Def definitely can retweet that struggle with, I want to work on my passion project 100% of the time, but I can't. So, it all makes sense
0: always appreciate a good uh, Vince-ism, so
17: that's
0: very unique to the University of Delaware, but yes, glad, (laughs) Um, glad his Vince is still going strong, so I think we still need about two or three more minutes, y'all told your stories on a podcast that has, has cross borders at this point it is you know a a global (laughs) a podcast with global phenomenon yes your story is out there and people are hearing about you and they are going to want to support and get involved so um in my eyes there are certainly no losers um and we're going to do a lot more of this i mean listen this is this is a pitch competition this is this is one thing you know anybody who knows me (laughs) we do all the things so we got more stuff coming and it can't wait listen our mission is to support you all so um that that means through programs it means through events that means pitch competitions it means mentorship funding all these different things so um yes we are going to continue to work it is early in the year we are just getting started
14: thank you Gary. you've been a great support we really appreciate all that you do for the entrepreneur community. So thank you so much.
16: Hey Gary, it's Susan again. I just wanted to say, you know, people ask me sometimes, some of my professional uh, working friends say, why do you spend so much time with things like First Founders or the other accelerator programs that I work with at universities? Um, and I said, because it's, first of all, I'm just amazed that you can take like when I first met Abu, he had a general concept of something that was a problem. And you know, in business, we would kind of t- sit down in a room and we'd white paper and maybe we would come up with an idea um, of you know, how to solve for that problem. But you guys aren't working with a team of people. Like I was an executive director at a bank and I managed about five or 600 people, $130 billion deposit portfolio. And when we had a problem, I would call everybody in, the Six Sigma team or the lean team, uh, the smart MBA you know, kind of people. And we would flow chart and spend a lot of time in a room with some brown paper. Um, and then we finally did get it onto a computer. But in my day, a lot of it was on the wall. And um, you know, we would spend tens of thousands of dollars you know, getting people in a room to think about something before we ever even did anything. And what I love about you know working with groups like this, you don't have you don't have one hundred thousand dollars, and you don't have twenty you know PhDs uh, or MBA Wharton Business School people to help you. You find a couple people, or yourself, or you you find you surround yourself with people that have the skills that you don't and you go find everything else out that you don't know. And that's what always amazes me to see when people start with this little idea or a problem they've personally run across and you just put the whole package together. And so I think that just excites me and you know this group and three or four other groups are you know very similar in the fact that you start with a nugget you know and you build from that. And I just think it's impressive and I always look back and think, geez, if we had groups like this when I was just starting out, you know, I might have been Bill Gates. So, but you guys keep me inspired um, to keep thinking.
0: Thank you so much, Susan. That was phenomenal. Um, I I took notes on what you just did. So thank you. Um, we are ready to go. That was perfect timing. So we have our winners. We have a pool of $10,000 to give away. So our third place prize is going to be receiving $1,000. Second place is going to receive $2,000. And then first place is going to receive $7,000. So, all right, here we go. I'm so proud of all of you. All right, here we go. It's time to go. You all have been waiting long enough. Thank you to our judges. I know the decision was tough, but let's jump right on into this. So our $1,000 prize winner, Get Potluck. Congratulations to Team Get Potluck. Well earned, well earned. Our $2,000 prize is going to Dendwell. Congratulations to Dendwell. First place, grand prize, 7K, is going to Kitty Credit. Congratulations to Kitty Credit. All right, congratulations to everybody. Um, Well earned, well deserved. You all worked incredibly hard to get here. And again, this is just the beginning. So there are no losers in my eyes and we are gonna keep this thing going. So thank you all for attending. Um, Just to share a couple more things. We're gonna be announcing that um, First Founders is now a part of uh, the Techstars Access Program. So we have some really cool things to share with you all. Um, some opportunities, resources, connections, um, benefits that are going to support everyone in our community. So we are leveling up as an organization. Uh, We are also a part of uh, Village Capital and the Black Innovation Alliance's Building an Equitable Future Program. And and we truly want to make sure that we are contributing to a more inclusive and equitable ecosystem um, and positioning ourselves to support you all as founders uh, because we all go up together. So thank you all for being a part of this amazing event, this amazing community. Uh, Thank you to our sponsor, Delaware Prosperity Partnership. Thank you to our judges. Thank you everyone for being here and being a part of our community.
2: Great job, everybody. Thank you. Great pitches and
7: uh, I look forward to seeing what everybody does next. I threw my info in the chat. If anyone wants to get in touch, I I didn't get to say this before, I previously worked at Backstage Capital. I currently work with another accelerator in Philly and um, I'm always happy to to talk to founders. Uh, So feel free to be in touch no matter where you landed at this.
0: All right, and if you're not a member of the community, go to firstfounders.org, join our newsletter, check out the stuff we got going on uh, because you definitely don't want to miss it. Everyone is welcome to join and uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Thank you all again. Enjoy the rest of your nights, continue to stay safe, be healthy, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye, everybody.